Hi everyone, um, I am Zeynep Kaya, I'm a research fellow at the LSE's Middle East Center and it's a pleasure to be here to be chairing this fantastic event and uh, to, no, greet, to greet Katerina uh, this evening. So welcome to uh, our, the Katerina's talk on alternative universalisms, contemporary Turkish discourses on culture and international relations. Um, so just to just logistics. Um, we will start with Katerina's talks and talk, and then uh, we will open uh, the floor for questions and answers. Can you please, if you haven't done so, I'm sure you've all done, but silence your phones just in case. Check it. Uh, and thirdly, uh, if you want to tweet about the event, the hashtag is uh, hashtag LSE Turkey. Okay. So let me introduce Katerina. Uh, Katerina is Associate Professor in International Relations at LSE. Her research interests include international democracy, human rights norms, and Islamism in the Middle East, with special reference to Turkey and Egypt. Uh, Katerina is also working on international politics of culture and religion, with particular reference to Islam. I will keep it short so that we have lots of time for your talk and uh, the question and answers. Over to you, Katerina. Okay, thank you for coming. Um, I've been looking forward to preparing for this lecture for quite a while, so I'm really grateful that you're here. Um, uh, um, Zainab introduced me, but I want to say briefly how I became interested in the subject that I'll talk to you about this evening. Uh, as she said, my research uh, to date has been on Islam, Islamist movements and ideologies and their interaction with international human rights norms. Through that interest, I've been looking at the role of culture and religion in international relations from a political, but also a political philosophy and recently a theoretical IR point of view. I've also had a long-standing interest in Turkey and I've recently taken up the language learning the language which is uh, helping me do this project, although of course it's still baby Turkish, so I'm using uh, 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 my two excellent research assistants to help me. The current project is funded by the British Academy, and it addresses a very simple question. How are people in Turkey thinking about culture and civilization within a global context? Are there any new ideas about these big issues which go beyond the familiar categories of East and West, Islam and secularism? Which categories the world we live in seems to be perennially, but I would say also perversely, caught up with? Now more specifically, within international relations, which is my discipline, there has been much discussion in recent years about decentering the discipline moving away from Anglo-Saxon, uh, sort of, uh, the, the Anglo-Saxon core of it, opening it up to other non-Western and non-Western-centric ideas and perspectives. Now this has sometimes led to a crude cultural essentialism. I think a result of a dramatic swing of the pendulum from materialist to culturalist explanations of IR. However, a more sophisticated debate about culture is taking place within post-colonialism in IR, but also within the boundaries of the English school and more broadly constructivism. 
it seemed to me that a way forward for these debates would be to do some proper empirical investigation. Turkey, the focus of this investigation, is a great case for studying conceptions of culture and civilization because of its lengthy, complex, and tumultuous relationship with Europe, with the West, and modernity. Its being a successor state to a powerful empire, never colonized, with a robust and long-standing tradition of state, adds, I think, to the complexity of that relationship. Now, of course, for some, Turkey is part of the West. And every time I uh, use non-Western when it comes to Turkey, I, I cringe a little bit internally. For others, Turkey is the quintessential torn country, to use Huntington's infamous formulation. Now, there is no doubt that on one level and from one perspective, and this is a point I'll come to at the end, Turkish society is dominated by the categories of East and West, Islam and secularism, rigidly conceived, especially so in the bitterly divided times that the country is experiencing at the moment. But I hoped, and I'm hoping, to find ways of at least investigating what lies beneath these categories and going beyond these categories as well. Now, a little bit about how I'm doing this project. I'm focusing on a number of contemporary intellectuals and their ideas, and I try to situate them within Turkey's intellectual history. So in the first part of the lecture, I will give you this intellectual history, but please do not treat it as background. This is really the conceptual framework without which I think we cannot understand the contemporary debates. Now, I am exactly six months and two days into the 12-month uh, fellowship of the British Academy. So you will forgive me if I present to you only my preliminary findings, not the whole project, which of course I haven't completed. And the point, the final point to make, which is important, it's also in the blurb for the lecture, is that in the project and the way I've conceived that I'm doing it, I'm not dealing with the current political situation in Turkey, with the foreign policy and the implications of the ideas, but with ideas in the abstract. I think if I applied to the British Academy for a project on the Akipay, I wouldn't have got the funding because so many people are working on this subject. It's so important. So uh, this is how, uh, this is what I will limit myself to. But please feel free in the question and answer session to ask me, uh, and I will try to respond about the political implications of the ideas as well. Now. From the 18th century, the late 18th century, due to trade and geopolitical pressures, including being pulled into the balance of power system, the Ottoman Empire became increasingly drawn into Europe. Now, of course, the empire was geographically in Europe, as the real homeland of many Turks, where the uh, Balkans, Rumelia, not Anatolia, now, as these lands were lost to the empire in the course of the 19th century, of course, the importance of the Arab Middle East 
uh, increased, but it is important to bear in mind that geographical reality of uh, the empire being in Europe uh, very much uh, in the late Ottoman period. It is conventionally argued that these processes of inclusion into Europe were accelerated in the case of the Ottoman Empire in the 19th century <coughs> under duress. What is more, reforms were seen as being undertaken with a view to competing with Europe. Now, recent scholarship has moved away from the idea that the late Ottomans were passive recipients of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of European impositions. And that scholarship has reasserted Ottoman agency. <coughs> this is an important correction, I think. And it is confirmed when we observe the growing grip of the idea of reform among the Ottoman ruling class. The belief that reform was possible and that the empire could be improved and strengthened through the actions of individuals revolutionized Ottoman worldviews about the cosmos, about history, politics, and about the relationship between human beings and God. Linked to the idea of reform and underpinning the intellectual trends that emerged at the time was the gradual objectification of Islam. Until the 19th century, reference to Islam as an identifiable set of traditions was almost non-existent. From then onwards, Islam, just as religion and religions generally, becomes something out there to be thought about, shaped, manipulated by the subject, by the person. The individual is no longer the vehicle of cosmic forces. Instead, he or she can think about and shape religion, which in some cases turns into a blueprint for the ideal society. And let me fast forward you to the slogan, the Islamist slogan of today, Islam is the solution. That actually represents that shift. So this is the age, the 19th century, of ideology in Europe and elsewhere. And the empire falls within that conceptual sea change that occurs uh, uh, elsewhere. Now, a similar development occurs with the idea of civilization. Of course, the content of civilizations, like religions, existed before then. But what is new, and I think a quintessentially modern occurrence, is that the human being can take a distance from, think about, identify, and even shape <coughs> these civilizations. During the period of Abdul Hamid II, 1876 to 1908, we observed in the Ottoman Empire, in the Arab lands, also in South Asia, <coughs> and among the Muslims in Russia, the emergence of the idea of the Islamic world. Travel, the spread of the printing press, and other technologies created and reinforced the notion that there is such a unified community called the Islamic world, with, of course, the Ottoman Empire at its uh, center. This becomes linked, eventually, to the idea of civilization in contradistinction to the European civilization or 
civilization generally. Now, the word civilization enters the Ottoman lexicon in the 19th century. But it only appears in France, in Europe, in the late, mid to late 18th century. So it's important to remember that there, too, it is a new concept. In the empire, it was used as such, civilization, but also translated as medeniet. Uh, of course, the etymology of the word is the same as civilization in, in English and French, the city, Medina, being at the root of the word. It replaced medeniet, the word umran, which was used by Ibn Khaldun previously to refer to this roughly the same thing. Now, Madaniyat contains within it, as the word does in English, the meanings of urbanity and civility. <coughs> For the Ottoman cultivated man, civilization was a context, or a contest, yes, a contest and a contrast between urbanization on the one hand and nomadism on the other hand. It wasn't necessarily about religion, but also about manners and <coughs> culture. So in various rather entertaining readings, one uh, hears reference to the Maronites and Druze of Mount Lebanon, the Albanian Highlanders, the Arab Bedouin, and the Yemenis as savages in the uh, uh, Ottoman context. But civilization, of course, also acquires the meaning of, and reference to collectivity, a group of people, uh, uh, a distinct identity, and as such, it is with reference to Islamic and European civilizations. Now, as I've hinted already, I'm uncomfortable with presuming that the ideas of civilization and other such ideas were simply imposed on the Ottomans by the Europeans. My cursory look at linguistics tells me that language in particular doesn't work like that. Doesn't quite work like that. So for example, the tremendous influence of the French language in the 19th century doesn't fully correspond to the uh, power, the political and military power of France during that century. Remember that Ottoman was an extremely rich language, albeit spoken by very few people at the time, and infused by Arabic and Farsi words, much as Turkish nowadays is infused by French and English words increasingly, although Arabic as well is making a comeback. Now with the establishment of the Republic in 23, cultural nationalism meant Turkification which in turn led to the removal of Persian and Arabic words in order to uh, remove linguistic capitulations that they were called and make Turkish closer to the language spoken by ordinary people. So this is a little bit of a digression. I didn't know if I would have the time to, to tell you about it, but it's a fascinating story, I think, the story of language and how it relates to the subject that I'm treating, which is not quite the same as the story told by the intellectual writings and by ideas. Now, we should not assume that categories such as secularism were already dominant in the late 19th century. 
or that we can draw a straight line from the late Ottoman reforms to the secularizing reforms of uh, Ataturk. Again, the literature is very much contesting these straight lines that were thought about before. The intellectuals of the period, for example, the so-called young Ottomans of the 1870s and later years, thought in terms of modernity and Islam as opposed to modernity versus Islam. And they wanted to create a new Ottoman culture that would be modern without sacrificing its own identity to the West. Now this changes with the young Turks in the early 20th century. They lacked the young Ottomans' engagement with Islam and they turned to positivism and scientific materialism. So by the time of the dissolution of the empire and the arrival of the republic, the categories East, West, modernity, Islam, and European and Islamic civilizations, as well as the idea of one universal civilization, are becoming increasingly set in their meanings. And they are recognizable to us today. Uh, it's the same sort of uh, content of the categories, even though, similarly to what's happening today, the evaluation of these categories, good, bad, is always contested. Now, for Abdallah Cevdet, and this is the picture I gave for, for the lecture today, civilization is universal. And there's only one civilization. He writes a very sort of emotional piece after the defeat of the Balkan wars, wars of Turkey. There's only one civilization, not two, he says. And Turkey has to grasp it with its thorns and roses. For another major thinker of the era, Ziya Gokalp, civilization is also universal, but it accommodates religion within the idea of culture. Gokalp argues that until the 19th century, religion was the basis of civilization. Of course, this is wrong and anachronistic. As, as I just explained. But that now, civilization rests on science, is what he said. Culture, on the other hand, is national. And religion is part of that culture, specific to each society. Cultures must adapt to civilizations by a conscious and rational process of selection of concepts and techniques. Gokalp has very strongly the idea in his head of the social engineer, and that is representative of his era, of course. Now, by the time of the Republic, in the post-1923 period, the dominant position represented by Mustafa Kemal Ataturk and his uh, uh, cohort is that civilization is one. It is universal, and it is identified with Europe or the West. Even though, of course, for Atatürk and those like him, this comes alongside a very strong nationalist ideology, which was opposed to the political dom domination by the West. For him and for the others like him, being civilized meant being scientific and positivist. He 
Minimalism aimed to transform both the high Islamic civilization and the low popular culture of the people. So culture was subsumed under civilization. In an interesting inversion, the Kemalist universalist conception of civilization and the rather uniform idea of culture replaced the cosmopolitanism of the Ottoman Empire. And I want to throw that word in uh, to think about it. I won't have time to develop it and its differences with universalism. The word cosmopolitanism is different, of course, and interesting in itself. Now, be that as it may, East and West had by that time become irrevocable enemies, locked in perennial opposition, something which is, I think, with us still today. Now, with the adoption of secularism as a key tenet of the Republic, the link between Islam and the state was broken or massively reconstituted. And Islamic thought was marginalized. The ulama, the religious functionaries, were to all intents and purposes eliminated and the production of official religious discourse subordinated to the state. More broadly, whereas until the late Ottoman period most intellectuals were bureaucrats or lived on a stipend by the state, now the intellectuals become a separate class of people. That's with the arrival of the Republic. Within that category or class of people, Islamist intellectuals were few and far between and pushed to the sidelines. So the major debates in the first decades of the empire occur within the boundaries of secularism and in particular when it comes to politics within the contest between the right and the left in political terms. However, the absence of intellectuals Islamic intellectuals didn't mean that Islam as such was uh, gone or disappeared. The tariqats, <coughs> the jamaats, informal Sufi orders or religious associations had spread through Anatolia <coughs> and of course in other parts of the empire in the 19th century, providing a link between elite civilization and local culture. So they continue to be important with the Republic, even though officially banned. And they permeated, in particular, the Nakshibendis and the Nurjus. They permeated social life, but also increasingly penetrated political life, connecting the rural and the urban uh, worlds. Now, their approach to Islam has been hugely contested. For some, these associations uh, symbolized backwardness and reaction. For others, they brought Islam in line with modernity. With, of course, the important figure of Bediouzaman Said Nursi being a particularly controversial figure. Now, because of the emphasis uh, on the importance of the text, the Nurju, the most important of these associations, the strongest in Western Anatolia, where literacy was greater. And I just want to use that to emphasize the point that modernization brings Islamization and Islamic revival, in this case, as in many others, although not necessarily a liberal interpretation of Islam. Now, the religious orders are linked 
to some of the thinkers that I examined for the project. These individuals produce their own oeuvre, of course, but many of them have an important background or foundation in these religious associations and orders. From 1950 onwards, with the introduction of multi-partyism in Turkey, they are also linked to political parties of either a right-wing conservative or a straightforward Islamist persuasion. Needless to say, the influence of these intellectuals has been steadily rising since their almost total eclipse after 1923. A first generation of intellectuals emerges after the 1930s and 40s. Now, it's difficult to generalize about these people. For example, a fascinating and somewhat unusual figure is Jamil Meric, whose ideas had similarities with contemporary thinkers in Japan and Iran. Influenced by Marxism, Meric questioned the categories of East and West. He argued that a people must not be deprived of memory and culture as Kemalists had attempted, although he also noted that music was the area of culture least touched by these uh, reforms. <coughs> Najib Fazil Kisakulek, Nuratin Topchu, Sezai Karakoc, three other important names, all saw <coughs> Islam as an ideology and as having its own civilization as well as being a religion. Islam for them is a civilization, but in Turkey it's culturally specific. Now, Kisakurek was the dominant figure of this generation, and by his own admission, he has also influenced the current president of the Republic of Erdogan. Kisakurek's totalistic, even fascistic worldview, which called for Turkey to be cleansed of Jews and Dönmen, connected this Islamic civilization to the Great East with Turkey at its core. The Ottoman Empire constituted the essence of this civilization. Kisakurek saw nationalism as being in the service of Islam, however, not vice versa. Now there's clearly a link between the thought of Kisakurek and others of his generation with the totalitarian ideologies of the 1930s in Europe and throughout the world. Furthermore, more than Kisakurek and others uh, like him cared to admit, the thought was shaped by the secular education they had experienced in the Republic and the intellectual production of Europe with which they engaged. The explosion of the media in the 50s and 60s meant that the message of these intellectuals reached a wider public even though during these decades, and this is a very important point, in the 70s also, culture, the arts, and literature were dominated in Turkey by the left, by the Marxist intellectuals. Now, the 1970s witnessed the emergence of a new Islamist discourse linked to Nejmedin Erbakan's Milgorush national outlook perspective. This was a political movement which associated Islam with the Turkish nation more closely. For Erbakan, Turkey is the cultural center of Islamic civilization in Europe, 
for that outlook, his outlook, the West's success was based on technology and economic development required religious faith, he argued, not a cultural transformation. So familiarly, uh, uh, he tried to de-link culture with the technological successes of, of the Western civilization. After 1980, a new generation of Islamic intellectuals arrives at the scene. Those years witnessed an enormous growth of Islamic currents, trends, and activities in Turkey. They also saw identity politics replacing the left-right divide increasingly, of course, not completely, but sort of pushing it out. The new Muslim intellectual who emerges after 1980 was a product of the post-1950 Republican education system like the previous generation. He, sometimes even a she, spoke Western languages, at least one, and was conversant with European philosophy. He or she was not necessarily in touch with ordinary people or the local imam or hoja. In cultural terms, he or she were closer to the secular intellectual against whom uh, uh, they argued. So people such as Rasim Özdemir, Ali Bulac, and Ismet Özel questioned both the glorification of the Ottoman past and the Kemalist project of civilization. They rebelled against science, technology, democracy, and the very idea of civilization. Their proposed answer was very different from that of the previous Islamist generation. To look for answers in the fundamentals of the Quran and the Sunnah. Ali Bulach in particular has been described as a cultural Islamist. He declared that the idea of an Islamic state had failed because politicization threatens Islam with materialism and secularization. He argued that the modern state is inherently totalitarian because it tries to uh, legislate for and regulate everything and everybody. Now, interestingly, I think, the Turkish Islamist discourses of the 80s run parallel to the postmodern questioning of positivist epistemology in the West and also globally. They coincide with growing doubt and self-criticism in the West, but they also have similarities with the Islamist discourses emerging in the Middle East and the wider Islamic world. Turkey has parallels but doesn't fall neatly into uh, either of these uh, spaces or areas. Now with the 1990s, yet another shift occurs with an important Islamist current becoming more open to the West and specifically the EU. It asserts this current that Turkey's accession to the European Union would not symbolize a civilizational shift. This, I think, is a major transformation and it comes alongside uh, a sea change in Islamism in Turkey Germany. <coughs> First, the move of political Islam to the political center with the arrival of the AKP. But secondly, the 
uh, acceptance and establishment of an outward-looking, export-oriented, capitalist outlook that, again, is symbolized by the arrival of the Akhenaten. Now, within that context, there's been a proliferation of Islamist trends in Turkey, different strands of thought and lines of thought, which I've been trying to map. Well, it's a huge, huge thing. But I will concentrate for the purposes of, of what is the remainder of the lecture with two opposing views as the sort of main lines that I've, I've seen within that broader uh, debate. Now, one strand rejects the very idea of civilization. Ismet Özel, whom I mentioned previously, and his disciple, Bedri Gencher, who is my contemporary. I met him in Istanbul in December when I was there, and he greeted me very nicely as a fellow Ottoman, uh, being, me being a Greek. <laughs> we exchanged pictures about our children, and it was a very sort of convivial uh, discussion. Anyway, he, he, he and especially his met whom I haven't met yet, argue that the very term and concept of civilization must be rejected. They have picked up, I think rightly in my view, that civilization implies man-made institutions. Azal challenges the idea that an Islamic state and law must be the aim of committed Muslims and argues that they would prove fatal to truth and justice because religion is such a prime target for state manipulation. <coughs> Islam is not a civilization according to Ezra. This is a Western Orientalist position. Though it has the potential to become a civilization free of class differentiation. Originally a leftist, Ozel sees civilization as implying class division, exploitation, materialism, and his accusations that the AKP has betrayed the Islamist cause and is serving capitalism, which is of course true, have led to his being marginalized in contemporary debates in Turkey. Now opposed to that strand of thought, is the discourse on civilization <coughs> presented by Ahmed Davutoglu, who is familiar, of course, to all of you. I don't need to introduce him. For Davutoglu, Turkey is at the center of it. Uh, this is totally different. It's, he, Turkey is at the center of an Islamic civilization, which offers a clear alternative to Western civilization. He writes in English and uses these very terms. There's a debate in the literature about Abutubi on whether he is uh, an Islamist or a neo-Ottomanist. My sense is that he sees the two as interdependent, and this is not a cop-out, it's a very important point. Much to the dismay of Islamists who want to return to the first century, the ideal time of the Prophet in the first century of Islam as the uh, uh, sort of font of all solutions. Now, Davutoglu not only sees Western and Islamic civilizations as competing with each other, but he sees the latter as superior, more humane, <coughs> less atomistic, less materialistic. In his academic books on the subject, and I haven't followed his 
his many sayings or small articles have just read the books. He sees Turkey as active in all regions that surround it, including the Balkans, the Caucasus, <coughs> the Middle East, as well as belonging to Europe, if, he says, Europe will accept it. Dabutoglu argues against Fukuyama and also against Huntington. And he does not see relations between Western and Islamic civilizations as necessarily conflictual. He criticizes Huntington's view of Turkey as a torn country, but only to say that it would not be torn if it embraced its true civilizational destiny and its true cultural identity. Now, for supporters of Davutoglu, Turkey has a historic mission and uh, uh, can be integrated with both East and West. So they're saying that this is essentially his uh, argument. For critics of Dawood, his vision is Islamic and essentializes East and West. My view is that he does indeed essentialize them, and that he sees the East as superior, as I've said, but he does not think, and this is an important point, that this should lead to conflict. He certainly argues that Turkey must reconnect with its culture and offer a new civilizational axis. Otherwise, it will remain a peripheral element of a civilizational axis created by others. And these are all quotes that I'm using from his works. So Davutoglu does represent progress when it comes to the use of these categories. But of course, he hasn't gone far enough, I think, to, in overcoming Linked to Davutoglu are a host of other public intellectuals, all writing about civilization and culture in the current context. They share with him the idea of difference, though not necessarily of a clash, and the sense that Islamic and Ottoman, perhaps, civilization has the superior values. But they do not actually all agree on the uh, precise meaning of the terms or the types of relationships that ensue from these categories. So for instance, Ibrahim Khalil is also very much an Akipa person, uh, spokesperson for the Akipa at the moment, in his book, for example, argues that Islam is a neutral religion and that for that reason it's been able to um, not impose a particular type of civilizational identity but fit with various uh, uh, civilizations throughout history. Now there is of course a whole other school of thought in Turkey associated with Fethullah Gülen, who I haven't uh, 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 done the work on as yet, but I will be covering uh, as part of the project. Just a small bit of, uh, or small point that I want to make about Gülen, of course uh, his followers and himself at the moment are pariahs in Turkey and very much persecuted within the current context. But for the purposes of my project and the ideas about civilization, the point to note is that he has emerged within the Nurju tradition with all the ambiguities that this contains and that I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. Now, I've reached the last part of the lecture. I hope it's not too much. So. Now, 
Is there a non-Islam-centered counter-narrative to the Islamist discourses in Turkey at the moment? Does there exist a secular, post-Kemalist universalism which poses itself against Islam or Ottoman-centered views? I very much wanted to answer this question, and I still want to do so in the context of the project. Now, there's certainly a search in Turkey, and in other parts of the world, of course, in the West as well, for a new formula, a rigorous critique of the Enlightenment project on the one hand, <coughs> but without surrendering its liberating and humanist principles on the other hand. However, I have not found any major secular intellectual figures in Turkey who have written sort of interesting things responding to this big challenge and this big question. Presumably because secularist thinkers have, been, uh, um, have not been on the defensive <laughs> for long enough. Uh, this is going to come, I think, in the future in Turkey much as the Islamists have been forced, or have been forced to formulate their own counter-narrative to the secularist one previously. Now you will have noticed that I'm using the terms Islamist, secularist, which are the very ones I'm supposed to be subverting, or at least hoping that the, uh, I will discover people who are subverting these categories. <coughs> Clearly, the results thus far are disappointing and the categories are still with us even though there has been I think some movement away from them. If anything the search, the research of the search is leading me to two areas which lie strictly speaking outside the boundaries of the project as initially I conceived of it. One is historiography and the other one is literature. There is a thinker I haven't mentioned thus far because he's not writing about civilization as such, but rather he's a historian of Islamist thought. His name is Ismail Kara. Kara explores how the introduction of the idea of progress in civilization in the 19th century shaped the historiography of Islam and the content of Islamic thought. He argues that Muslim thinkers were quick to interpret political and military defeats of Muslim majority societies as cultural, social, and institutional defeats for Islam. They lamented past glories, and this led to a break with history <coughs> and a fixation on an idealized golden age, the time of the Prophet and the first uh, rightly guided caliphs. Islam, so the argument went, included all the virtues of progress, science, and civilization which it subsequently gave to the West. Previously, Kara says, Islamic scholars saw history as the history of humanity, starting with Adam and Eve, but now, after that turning point, actual history was transformed through the lens of the golden age. From that point onwards, history in the thought of these Islamic thinkers was seen as a burden, not as a treasure. 
Torah implicitly argues, or I, that's how I read it, that reconnecting with history, a different historiography, and moving away from the fixation with an ideal time, which is, by the way, the predicament of romanticism and nationalism in many parts of the world in the 19th century, will create a new university. This rethinking would not be a simple reassertion of the Western European-centered historical writing, but a reclaiming of a more balanced view that recognizes agency of East and West European Islam. Now, literature also holds a promise, but in different ways than an alternative historiography does. Turkey has, of course, a long and vibrant literary tradition. Surveys of Turkish literature are plagued by the Orientalist slash nationalist binary. But both perspectives, of course, are ahistorical. For some more hopeful readings, literary modernity in Turkey recasts Eastern and Western cultures from new perspectives as being interdependent and interrelated. So for some literary critics, the move away from a rigid Eurocentric modernism has led to a reappropriation of the Ottoman and the Islamic past, but without this entailing a rejection of modern and modernist values. So they're trying to strike a balance or they're saying that many novelists in Turkey in particular and poets are striking that fine balance that is not to be found uh, elsewhere. Now, it is in the literary works that the categories of East and West, arguably, again, I haven't done the work yet, melt away or potentially melt away within the reality of people's lives. And it is, I think, in the bulk of this very huge and dense country that we need to look for a way forward. Now, many talk about the resurgence of conservatism in Turkey, about attitudes and tolerant attitudes being uh, sort of deeply suspicious of difference and of remaining profoundly hierarchical family relations. <coughs> Others report of greater toleration and openness of mind. And if you look at some of the opinion polls, for instance, of the surveys, you will see very surprising and interesting uh, bits of information about religiosity declining, for instance, and such other very sort of uh, contradictory uh, um, uh, snippets of, or pictures of the society. I can't really make uh, my way coherently through this because that would be a different project. But my sense is that literature reflects that complexity to a degree, and that's why in it lies uh, lie possibly many of the answers. Uh, I'm going. To, I have. I was going to talk about international relations and um, sort of, because I know that in the audience maybe there are some people who are more interested in IR than, uh, than in Turkey itself or Islam and Islamism. But um, with deep sorrow, I will not do that. <laughs> yeah. But, but you, because it's, we're running out of time. But, but if uh, you want, me to take up some of these questions with regards to IR. I'm very happy to do so in the question and answer session. So I was going to talk about um, um, 
about uh, sort of post-colonialism and different ideas of modernity and what all of this tells us about how we can think about modernity or multiple modernities within the context of international relations. I think a lot of this is open to the listener or the reader to make their minds on. Uh, I don't necessarily need to sort of spell it out. I will be spelling out my view of it. So I'm happy to do that in the, in the discussion. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you very much. interesting talk and your very stimulating discussion about the uh, intellectual thinking in Turkey. So I'm looking forward to hear the questions. Uh, just a quick note, uh, please ask your questions briefly and please ask just one question so that we have time for as many questions as possible. Please wait for the microphone because the lecture is being recorded and also before you ask your question, please tell your name and your affiliation. Um, and that's it really. Thank you very much for your talk. My name is Robin Hannah, LSE Lunas. I'm actually from the internet paper. When I was in the 60s, the book I was very useful, you may probably heard of it, Adam Bozeman's book, Cultural Politics, International History. And he does cover the Islamic world, and that's now very topical. And um, I don't know if you say anything about that book and how Turkey may be um, taking part in the dialogue between Islam and the culture, such as the Arab dialogue. The Turkey not a Muslim, not an Arab state, but obviously um, an important Muslim one. Thank you. Okay, I, I, I do not know the particular, I know Ada Bosman, of course, but I don't know the particular, I didn't, I didn't know she had written on literature. I will Culture and politics. Culture and politics. Okay. Book, okay. I will look it up. Thank you. Mr. Fascinati, thank you very much. Uh, you know, these categories, culture, civilization, identity, and religion, I think, because I met all those people you mentioned that are pretty confused about these things. You know, Turkish intellectuals are <coughs> one of them, so it's not that clear-cut. But my question or intervention is this, that there is nothing new about AKP. AKP actually... <laughs> Uh, is the culmination of a process, an under underlying ideology. If you go back to it, I'll just talk about ideologies rather than culture, civilization, mm -hmm. because I'm more interested in the continuation of those. For instance, it Dada Mahmed, you know, Abdul Hamid wanted to find a solution to the disintegration of the Ottoman Empire by, by resorting to Pakistan. Before that, no Ottoman, Ottomanism failed, and then Pan-Turkism came, and all that. But when you read, for instance, Abulajas and others, works, you will find that even uh, Najib Fazil and uh, you know th those guys, of course, they were impressed by Hitler and others. Mm. This authoritarian element, also the Ottoman has been always there. The only uh, agency in Turkey which was secular was the state for a brief period. But this pendulum always swings, this combination of Turkish and Islam, Islamic Turkish, Turkish Islamic, Sunni Islam, only Tad and Muhammad as an ideology inside the university and others you can find. 
is a continuation of the, of the New Democrat Party during the Democrat Party process, even the military coup that day in 1980, when we were in prison. They, 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 you know, the soldiers forced us to pray and learn Islam and Quran. You know, that was a so-called secular military, and that they worked. We were beaten to, to, you know, you don't go to Friday prayers and stuff like that. You know, that continuity is there. The continuity of Islam as an ideology, <coughs> society, and institution has always been there. And that, I mean, this in the West, that, uh, that's my main your, question. Your question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. In fact, what I wanted to, to, to sort of bring out in, in, in what I was saying is more the discontinuity. In fact, that we have, um, with the new ways of thinking, the new sort of concepts that, that, that arrive um, in the age of ideology, which is the 19th century, that, it, that this is when we have the beginnings of a new way of relating to Islam. So it's, on the contrary, I would say that it's not, it's not a pendulum in the sense that it's going back and forth, but the idea of the pendulum is with us historically since the 19th century. Do you see what I mean? I also, I also do not believe that the AKP or anything can be the same as what happened before. Um, there, there is always nothing is like that in, in, in politics and history. There has been a, uh, there has been a change. There has been a, an evolution, and um, the the evolution I think is a progressive one, uh, even though uh, it, it it involves taking steps back and forth and back and forth. But I think overall there is a movement forward, even though it's it's a very sort of um, uh, une just, uneven one. Sorry to say, we have yeah. just returned sure. from Turkey and the situation is pretty bad. Yes. Okay. No, I, 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 I'm sorry that uh, yeah. I disagree with you. Yes. It, yes. This is called retro developmentalist authoritarian Islamism. Mm. Mm. I, have, I, have no, uh, I have no uh, <coughs> disagreement with you that the political situation is a very problematic one and there's a slide towards authoritarianism and war, in fact, at the moment. Um, but I cannot actually see that the Turkey of 2016 is the same as even of 10 years ago. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Okay. Well, uh, Thank you, Katarina. That was you know, really interesting and stimulated so many questions that I have to confine myself. Um, well, on the 19th century, I think you're quite right that um, a lot of the sort of modern intellectuals, uh, like the uh, young Ottomans and what followed them, were actually reading um, uh, Western modernity into Islam. I mean, insofar as they uh, uh, insisted on Islam, uh, people like Muhammad Kamal was uh, reading. Um, a natural law theory uh, into the Sharia and Islam and was mostly a kind of political stance against the uh, Sultan and the, uh, the Tanzimat states, statesmen. Um, then even more interesting uh, were the 
uh, intellectuals who were committed to um, <coughs> Western modernity and became members of Freemason lodges. But what's fascinating is at the same time, some of these intellectuals were also members of uh, Bektashi Talipas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the you know the combination of the two, uh, uh, well, I suppose if it signals anything, similar things were happening in Iran. Uh, well, if it signals anything, it, it's uh, an adoption of an intellectual stance which is against orthodoxy. You know that it's the, what has in common. You know there is the kind of uh, modern rationality and positivism which is associated with Freemasons on the one hand and the, the, the heterodox mysticism associated with Bektashism mm. on the other. Um, the other, sorry if I bang on, but the other point about Medaniyat yes. is that so many, if, that the main protagonists of Medaniyat were really thinking uh, of modern European style civilization. Uh, the emphasis on science, on rationality, uh, and on styles of life. I think uh, Francois Georgeon showed how uh, the emerging drinking culture, you know, alcohol culture in uh, uh, sort of late 19th century uh, Turkey, uh, among the intellectuals and functionaries and so on, was seen as part of this medaniyet mm. of being civilized. You know, so thank you. Uh, and the opposite of it was Irtija, the Vazakovitz. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, I, I see what you're saying, Sami, about um, the young Ottomans reading modernity into Islam. I, I am. I am of course, I don't have the, the time to read the original texts, and it's very difficult to really grasp the moment, the historical moment. But what I'm seeing is a number of academics recently warning us against uh, the uh, tendency to read history backwards. Of course, that's ridiculous because we always read history backwards. That's what but they were doing. Yes, <laughs> that, I know. I know that's what you're saying. That, that, that we always read how we read history, as I said towards the end, is, is of course the most important thing. Um, but the so so even the, there there have even been questions about uh, Zia Kalp himself and the degree to which the way I presented him. In, in my speech is really accurate and many who argue that even for him Islam was a different category than what we would see as seculars or secular individuals so I, I think instinctively I would agree with you but on the other hand I think there may be a, an element there of, of us projecting onto that period um, Something that we that happens later, if I if I can put it like this. Um, 
I want to take the opportunity to make a comment about um, that period and the young Ottomans, something that I didn't have time to develop, which is that they, and of, of course many others like them, and many members of the ulema, the religious functionaries, associate also Islam with liberalism. Of course not democracy in the current understanding of it, but they would um, they were trying to use Islam against the authoritarianism of Abdul Hamid, who was very much an Islamist figure. Uh, in fact, one of the first Islamists as such, I think, I would, I would argue. Um, so, again, when it comes to the categories of the period, I'm, I'm using that to make the point, but also to say that when it comes to the period uh, uh, itself, it is perhaps a little bit surprising what one finds and it doesn't always fit our, our subsequent uh, ways of thinking. It's just a response. Thank you. Any other questions? I think uh, we have to, if we want to look to the present, the Islam versus secularism or East versus West in Turkey, we have to go back in the first decade of the 20th century, when the young nationalists who went against the Islamic or the Hamid and then uh, joined with the, though it was not a colony, but they joined with the Western metropolitan country and make an agreement for the disintegration of the Ottoman Empire. And after that, Kamalism, the Kamal reform of the, of the language, literature, education, which brought a hierarchical uh, society. And that hierarchical society, that cleavage is going on up to now between the Islamist and the secularist, mm. and also the East versus West. And that will continue because they, they were detached from their history because of the language and the Italian script uh, from the Arabic script. So the, all the history was in the Arabic script, and the, from the Kamalism, that uh, Latin script came into that, and that dissociated themselves them from their history of the Ottoman Empire. Now, few people there, Erbakan or some Islamists, they are trying to revive that one, mm. but that cleavage will continue. Thank you very much. Again. That's a point, uh, your, your comment gives me the opportunity to emphasize the point that um, perhaps I'll do it by giving an example. That many of the Islamist writings of the current Turkish scene um, are uh, reaching to Islam through the Western academic analysis of Islam. And that in itself is a very, I think, important point. Because it is a comment on those who say, and Davut does say it in one of his books, that the Islamic world and the Western world have two different philosophies and the Islamic world cannot fit within the Western political or civilizational context. This is not the case. 
because the, the very way he's writing about these things, he himself is shaped by, you can call it a Western or a European, or others call it nowadays a global vocabulary. I use vocabulary in the sense of the bigger ideas, the concepts, as I, the categories as I've called them. So this is by way of saying that it's perfectly possible to communicate between those two worldviews and between those, those civilizations because they do have a common vocabulary. Now that's not to say that they are not at each other's throats. You know, sometimes people misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is communication in the sense of being able to understand each other, having a commensurate, if I can call it that, language, a common language. I think that's possible and it is there. Now, it doesn't mean, I'm repeating the point, that from that common language uh, we get peace and harmony. On the contrary, we still get conflict and we will get conflict. But these are two different issues, and that's what I'm trying to—that's what I'm trying to distinguish in my in my work here, but but also elsewhere. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, you have it's, a question? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I interrupted. Did you do one, please? I'm finished. Okay. Thanks, Katerina. This was really really interesting. I just want you to maybe carry on from this point mm. to reflect on how this relates to. Thank you, my friend, <laughs> for giving me the, the opportunity. Um, it follows on from what I have just been saying. I, I haven't actually done the work on the various definitions of the terms here, and there, there, there are a lot of terms around in the literature multiple modernities, alternative modernities. Modernity is defined in different ways and exactly where the line is drawn between uh, the different thinkers who write about these things and talk about these things is really quite a, a detailed job to, to trace. But I, I think that what we have here is a common modernity in the sense of being able to communicate in, in how I put it. But of course within modernity we've had the worst violence and the most horrific conflict. Uh, we see that, we saw that in Europe itself and I think we see it in, 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 in the world. So when it comes to international relations within uh, or that aspect of international relations which is about modernity and how it is defined. That would be my tentative response. Now from that, of course, there, there are different avenues that open up. So many of the debates on post-colonialism at the moment um, engage not just with the meaning of the term modernity and the other sort of similar or other terms, or adjectives of modernity, but about also how it came about. Now, I tried to hint at this in the course of the lecture by saying, by talking about agency. 
Now, what does it mean to talk about agency? Does it mean that we have the illusion that Europe was not really more powerful than the Ottoman Empire? Of course, that would be ludicrous. There was an inequality of power. But does this inequality of power between the Europeans and the Ottomans necessarily lead to a way of interpreting Ottoman actions and decisions which completely deprives them of agency? That's a different story. And I don't think necessarily the one leads to the other. So my attempt is to strike a middle ground because I can, I can see that, um, that you know, in, in so many ways all of these relationships are not unequal relationships and we're dealing with extremely sort of intelligent but powerful people with a strong history behind them here. So we have to strike that balance between not being naive about power or indeed about class in international relations and on the other hand uh, sort of not pushing it to the way of seeing the West simply imposing itself on the others. Now there are other debates about culture in IR. For instance, within the English school or uh, within constructivism, which is a kind of loose method more than anything else, I would say. And um, it seems to me that, particularly with reference to the English school, the kinds of relationships that we discern between different actors actually shapes the way you look at international society and how it's spread, uh, etc. Thank you. We have a question there. And then over to you, and then over to you. Uh, yeah, I just want to make a solution. Um, I wanted to just ask in terms of the contemporary situation, in terms of yes. thinking about um, uh, universalisms, how you see um, the hard day pay um, situation fitting into, I mean, particularly in the terms of international relations. Is, is that part of what you're looking at as well? You, you mean the Kurdish uh, part of this? how it fits into the picture in general, mm. because I mean, I think there's a, obviously, it's a third way into the picture of um, Okay, thank you. Shall I respond? Of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you were changing, uh, wanting to take together a few. Uh, no, but, oh, yeah, but, but I, think, I, think, I think we have time. We have time. Yeah, yeah. it's you're, fine. You're, thank you. You're keeping your answers very brief so that you okay. give us a lot of time. Um, and then I, I don't think the current political situation in the way you've described it actually is, is relevant. But what is relevant here, indirectly, I think, is the... Um, uh, the, the, the way in which the Kemalist um, nation-building and state-building project has been, in many ways, a homogenizing project and how it has sought to eradicate difference within Turkey as opposed to celebrating it. Now, I don't want to make judgments about what was happening in the 20s and 30s and necessarily, but clearly Turkey has moved on uh, from that period to, um, uh, to a historical moment where difference is recognized. 
the the political situation and the slipping back into war and hot conflict with the Kurds is unfortunate, but I think there is a kind of sociological reality which we have to, I think, differentiate from the political reality, which has other motivations as well. Now, I have not in the project looked at Kurdish intellectuals. Uh, I am aware that this is perhaps an area I should be looking into and that this is something that could yield interesting answers. But this is already a very big project, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to limit it. I'm, I, halfway through, I'm, I, I am aware that I have to pull things in as opposed to perhaps spreading things out, maybe for the future. Carlsberg, University of Oxford. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the, um, the contemporary um, dichotomy between uh, the Ismet Odell School and the Al Hadaldor mm. School. Mm. If, if I understand rightly, you said that Ismet Ozel actually rejects the idea of civilization altogether, whereas Al Hadaldor sees this very clear distinction between Islamic civilization and Western civilization. <coughs> I particularly wondered how both of them then. Um, relate to um, concepts like the, the, um, the United Nations Universal Declaration mm. of Human Rights. I mean, mm. uh, would they accept that sort of, you know, universal view of how human societies would, would be organized, or would Dagotola think that, that that needs to be modified in, in an Islamic direction? Uh, I'm trying to cast my mind back to his chapters on international organizations in, in, the, uh, in strategic depth. Um, and I don't think I can answer with, with sort of precise detail, but, but generally from the three books of his that I have read, which are his three books um, on the subject of civilization, of course strategic depth is not as such, but, but it kind of also touches on it. Who was the author? Celia was asking about oh, Ahmed Davutoglu. Prime Minister. Yes. Um, there, there is no. I mean, I want to emphasize the point that there is no rejection of these organizations. There's no. There's no kind of. I mean, he is very clear that he from the from the beginning that he is rejecting the clash of civilizations thesis and he sees Turkey and Islamic civilization as having consens consensual relations, not conflictual relations with, with uh, other civilizations and other countries. And strategic depth is a call for Turkey uh, being at the core of this bigger civilizational uh, um, Space, and he uses different terms like geocultural and geocivilizational, which I find difficult to pin down. But nevertheless, that's what he's he's constantly referring to them. Um, so, so what about Özel and his complete rejection? He yes. rejects the idea of civilization. I mean, how does Özel, society should be? Özel believes that the in a way, and, and that was in the last part of the lecture that I didn't have time to cover, he believes that 
he has he's he's the, he's the idealist or he has the uh, he has the impossible dream in his mind that we can somehow go back 200 years to a world where ideas such as civil, civilization and um, ideology did not exist so he is a purist in that sense he says it he, what I've said he says it that these are uh, he calls it orientalist He's, these are western conceptions about Islam and we need to go back to a time when these conceptions were not with us as if somehow we can erase them from our heads um, so they are profoundly different now, of course, I didn't have time to tell you about all the other individuals um, that I'm sort of looking at or beginning to look at or have looked at in some cases. With, as we all know, as academics, with each author, when you open up the books, the, the, each one of them is different. Mm -hmm. They don't all have quite the same uh, ideas about things. Um, so I just touched on Ibrahim Khalil very briefly to say that he's this something else um, but nevertheless I think Ozel uh, and Tavutulu probably uh, represent the two sort of um, not opposites but the two sort of the core the core of the two very different positions and then you have all kinds of others in, individuals in, in, in between can you hear me? Okay. Yes, hi, hi, hi. I'm doing a PhD at SOAS. Um, yeah. Thank you for your wonderful talk. Thank you. Um, I'm actually wondering how you think that Turkey's involvement in the Syria war is going to affect some of these uh, discourses. Because mm. as it engages more in the Middle East, as many Turkish people, especially students, are learning English, they're starting to engage with Islamic scholars from all over the world now. So do you see that this is going to make Turkey or these sorts of discourses more... Um, maybe more stringent and less sort of pluralistic if that's clear can you, can you go on a little bit okay so as, as Turkey engages more in yes. Turkey, this idea of Turkish Islam yes. is still quite popular even among many mm. sort of Islamist type figures this will invariably become more diminished in my opinion I see because of the application Yes, the in the form of the start engaging the Syrian refugees in Turkey. Mm. So Turkey is integrating itself more into the Muslim world now, yes. which will undoubtedly diminish this idea of Turkish yes. Islam. Yes. Will it then strengthen those voices in Turkey, mm. which are sort of more towards an Islamic civilization conception of the world, rather than something a bit more in between? You know, we can be EU, we can be this mm. at the same time. Uh, I know it's like sort of. It's, it's, it's a really difficult question to answer because you're asking me not just about ideas but about the popular sort of the, the direction of the society itself and I mean I'll be honest I am um, I, I mean I said it also I, I am I, I do have not a naive but a a progressive view of history in although the progress is I recognize the progress is extremely slow but so my sense is that from that experience in Turkey and we see that in all kinds of areas at the moment um, 
there will emerge a disillusion, at the very least a disillusionment with the association between Islam and politics. And even Ismatozel has that. I don't know if you if if you noticed and and others have other kinds of other kinds of disillusions. For instance, there's a whole sort of new wave of um, Islamic leftists in Turkey at the moment who are anti akepek capitalism. Um, and, 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 and they are sort of very critical of the association between Islam and, and capitalism. This is something that in Iran many people have recognized and are recognizing that the association between Islam and politics damages Islam. And that the way forward is secularism, not just secularization, which is a different process, a sociological process. Now, with regards to Turkey, I alluded very briefly to many uh, uh, interesting developments in that country, and I sort of come across them every now and then. But unfortunately, this is not what I'm doing, so I cannot fully sort of engage with them. So there have been some surveys which indicate that uh, Turks are becoming less religious <laughs> uh, in, in their sort of day-to-day practice of Islam. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are becoming less conservative socially or more liberal politically. These are different things. What, whether you pray or not doesn't necessarily mean or relate to whether you vote for the AKP or not. And, and what you do at home doesn't necessarily, is not necessarily reflected in what you do at the ballot box. Do you see what I mean? So there is, there's, there's a lot of, there's a huge complexity in the country. That's why I'm very suspicious of saying, you know, people come out and say, oh, Turkey is turning, becoming more conservative. Okay, what does this mean? I mean, we are, we are academics here. What does this mean? Does it mean anything? Of course, On one level, it does mean a, a more sort of perhaps a preference for authoritarianism or a, an approval rate, huge approval rate for for Erdogan or whatever. But that's not that's not the whole story. Now, when it comes to foreign policy, I think that will reinforce some of these processes because the foreign policy is problematic at the moment. There are huge problems with regards to the foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Sergan. I'm a, a social anthropology student in the uh, actually. And thank you for the talk, this was really great. My question concerns the uh, sort of methodology, mm. let's say, of the, of, the, of this research project, because in the title you say this is about Turkish discourses on yes. international relations and culture. Don't you think incorporating uh, maybe some more practice into it mm. uh, uh, would for example, tell us more about why these people thought what they did. Yes. Uh, do you plan to do a practical term in your research? And secondly, uh, would you... I, I'm, I'm moving away from the practical to the abstract. But anyway, go on. I'll, uh, I'll and secondly, yeah. would you not, for example, consider taking a slightly sociological term mm. in tracing the origins of the ideas these people these, yes. These, these yes. have yes. Uh, made? For example, Sure. incorporate the practice and secondly, so social knowledge mm. will improve the uh, 
You see, that's that's the problem that, that I have. That of course, to make sense of of where the ideas come from, I have to look at the context. I have to look at the history, the politics, the sociological realities, and how they are evolving. And when I was writing the lecture, I was sort of always trying to ask myself, am I sort of veering too much into that? Um, because if I did, it would have even taken longer than, than it did. Do you see what I mean? But there is a tendency and, and uh, uh, a sort of, what's the word, um, uh, temptation to do that. Because, of course, you cannot isolate the ideas from where they came from. You also cannot isolate the, uh, the impact of the ideas from the ideas themselves. But I have to do a project within 12 months. So I have to be quite disciplined with what it does. Um, and just to comment on your first point, looking at the impact of the ideas is, no, is a very complicated issue. Let's take foreign policy, for instance. There's a very easy um, discourse about Turkish foreign policy that is going around quite a bit, in which I, I've, I've written a small piece on that. How does it go? Here is Davutoglu. These are his ideas. This is the foreign policy of Turkey. Now, I don't know if any of you are doing the foreign policy analysis course in, <laughs> in the Department of International Relations. Yes, I do. But if you, if, you, if you do, but also if you have some awareness, you realize immediately that there's no direct translation, even of the prime minister or the foreign minister and his ideas or her ideas onto the policy. <laughs> it's, it's naive to think about foreign policy in this way. And I would say that foreign policy is a very particular beast. It, it, it always, well, state interest always tends to sort of creep into how things are done, and in any case, it's a very complex business of how it is done. Even in countries not like Turkey, but in countries which are very centralized and authoritarian. So, if I want to study the impact of the ideas, I don't take the ideas and the result. I have to look at the process, which is a whole different ballgame, which, 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 which I cannot do. Otherwise, it's a misrepresentation of what's going on. Can I just ask a methodological quick question? No, we well, we have because question we have then? run out of time and I'm... Um, okay, we can talk from yes. yes. Okay, thank you very much, Katerina, for generously answering the question.